Welcome to the Celebration Church Podcast. We are so glad you've joined us, and we hope you are encouraged by today's message. How's everybody doing today? You guys doing good? Good to see you. Good to see everyone. Hey, come on. Welcome in all of our locations right now, all of our campuses. We are so glad that you're joining us today as we are continuing in our series, Sex and Sensibility. You know, the two most major issues, this is uh, factually uh, done by surveys, that not only Christians, but really everyone in our society has the two major issues and struggles are with money uh, and with sexuality issues. And so those are two very important things that the church needs to be talking about. And as, uh, as that video was saying there, you know, our kids, our young people, they, they are being educated. The choice is not whether they're going to be educated on sex, but are we going to give them God's education about sex? Because the world is trying to educate them in a way that's going to be unhealthy and harmful. So on that, I just want to say this. Listen, this Wednesday night is so, so important, parents, that you make sure and have your high schooler and middle schooler here at Riot Night. At Riot night. Uh, Pastor Dino Rizzo is going to be speaking uh, here at Riot Night, but also we're kicking off this series, and this series is designed to really develop a hunger for the Word of God in your student or young person, okay? That's a big prerogative here at Celebration this year with, with our entire church, but especially in our young people. We want to give them a hunger for the Word of God where they're going to the Word of God as a first response instead of a last resort. And so we're being very intentional about it, and we're kicking that off this Wednesday night, Ryan night, and also our Riot Parent Night that's gonna be at the God First Life Room. And uh, all parents, all campuses, we really want you to come, and we're gonna help you uh, how to get a plan in place where you can discuss the Word of God with a regular basis uh, with your young person. Listen, it's the Word of God that's gonna give our young people the power to resist temptation, the power to be who God's called them to be, the power to overcome, the power to l live a blessed and fulfilled life, a life of goodness and a life of hope and a life of peace instead of a life of brokenness, instead of a life of despair, instead of a, a life of worry. Come on, I know you, I know you believe that. And so, what I need you to do is I need you, if you have any influence influence over a high schooler or middle schooler, I need you to make sure that they're here this Wednesday night. We can't do it without you, parents. We need your help. This is important, man. Our, our youth, they are under attack. And this is an environment where they can come in and they can get built up. They can get, uh, get, get whole and healthy in Jesus and his presence and in the word of God, so we need your help this Wednesday night. Don't miss it. Okay, so we're kicking off our sex and sensibility, not kicking off, but we're continuing in it today. And we have a very special speaker with us. It's none other than my wife, AKA the queen of content, La Femme preacher extraordinaire. My wife, Carrie Weems, where's her pulpit? <laughs> I said, where's her pulpit? She said, I don't need it. I don't need notes. I'm notes free. Well, get ready because this message, we're entitling this message, The Science of Sexuality, and it is heavy. 
okay? So you need to lock in here these next 35 or 40 minutes. I'll be preaching next weekend and the couple of weekends after that. And uh, man, it's gonna be a powerful message. So without further ado, Karen. All righty, thank you. Well, you, it is so you great. want me to open your water for you? Is anything else? You can. I, I'm going to open this It makes water. you feel better, yeah. I'll leave it right here. <laughs> it's very kind. Always thinking of others. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, it's such a pleasure to be able to continue this series and share with you some of the science behind human sexuality. And, you know, like Steph all said, I am going to go through uh, a lot of content pretty fast. I am condensing what we had as a five-hour workshop as a staff into 40 minutes for you, and I'm going to talk fast, and I'm going to say a lot of words. So I don't want you to worry about trying to write down everything I say if you're taking notes. I want to let you know that we actually uploaded the grid that I'm going to be speaking from and, and teaching from onto the, um, our website at celebration.org. You can go there, and you can download it for yourself. Feel free to take notes if you want, but don't worry if you miss something because I, I know it's a lot, so I had them upload it so you can just go to your computer and download it tonight. Is that good? So we're going to dive right in. But before we do, I want you to turn in your Bibles or your iPhones or in your library of God's Word in your head or wherever you go, whenever you read the Bible. And if you would turn to Romans chapter 12, we're going to read verses 1 and 2. And this verse is really, really foundational and fundamental to everything I'm going to talk about today. It really sets the framework for, for understanding how your biology and, and, the, and the science behind human sexuality kind of merges with your, your belief system and your spiritual lifestyle, you know, your, your spirituality. So let's read that really quick. It's Paul writing to the Christians in Rome and he says, brothers and sisters, in light of all I have shared with you about God's mercies, I urge you to offer your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice to God, a sacred offering that brings him pleasure. This is your reasonable, essential worship. So let's just stop right there really quick and talk, take a look, back up and take a big picture look at what Paul is saying. First of all, he's saying, look, in light of God's mercies, in other words, in light of God's great mercy that he has redeemed you and saved you and he has mercy on you and ha you have his grace to stand on and to be accepted by him. In light of that, what does he say? He says, I urge you, I beg you, this is a very strong word. I am begging you to do what? To offer up your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice to God. So what Paul is doing, he said, you have faith, but faith is not just a, an assortment of ideas. It's not just a matter of theology. It's not just a matter of intellectual belief or assent. It involves a literal physical walking out of our lives in this temple, in this body, whereby every day we wake up and we look at our life ahead and we say, God, this body belongs to you. It is not mine to do with as I want. It is yours to do with as you want. And there is a very real battle of bringing our bodies in submission to God's truth. And Paul is, he is, he is commissioning the people in Rome to, to take hold of this, to do this. And he says, this isn't cruel and unusual punishment. This is your reasonable and essential worship. In other words, Jesus gave his body 
to be broken for you so that you could be a recipient of his grace and mercy. And it is only therefore reasonable that you as believers should offer your bodies not to die, but to live on his behalf and under his authority, right? And then he goes on, he says in uh, verse two, do not allow this world to mold you into its own image. Instead, be transformed from the inside out by renewing your mind. And as a result, you'll be able to discern what God wills whatever and whatever God finds good, pleasing, and complete. So first he gives us, the, you, you are your people of faith, you've recipients of God's mercy, you're gonna offer your bodies up as living sacrifices, and then he gives us a key, okay? Give a commission and a key. And the key is, you know, the battleground for this, this struggle, this process of submitting your body as a living sacrifice with all of its urges, with all of its desires, when it seems impossible to curb those fleshly appetites, the key to all of this is transforming yourself by renewing your mind and bringing your thinking into alignment with God's truth. You know, every time our beliefs, our thinking, our opinions diverge from God's truth expressed in his word, we have a choice. We can either try to rewrite God's story to fit around our lives, or we can rewrite our lives to fit in God's story. And I would say that every time we choose to come into alignment with God's truth, we move one step closer to wholeness and freedom. You know, we've come to believe that freedom means the right to do whatever you desire. That in God's world, in his, in his mentality, freedom is the desire to do whatever is right. So when your desires and what is right are in alignment, you will find true freedom. And that's when you begin to walk your faith from the inside out, not the outside in. Are we good? Let's pray. Father God, we love your word. We love that your word shines a light on us and in grace and truth transforms us from the inside out. God, I pray that every person that is under the sound of my voice today, Lord, would, would be impacted by your spirit, Lord, and would leave here equipped to walk out this process, this lifelong process of surrendering our bodies and minds to you, Lord, as our reasonable and essential act of worship, knowing that we're accepted by your grace and through your sacrifice in Jesus' name, amen. All right, are you ready to dig in? All right, why are sexual issues, there's like, they're a little bit different than everything else in life. It's a really hard battle to, to a struggle to be, sur surrender your sexuality to God. And that's because there are three aspects working in unison to that form our sexuality. There are three components. In other words, there are three, three battle lines that we have to fight on as we, as we seek to surrender our sexuality to God. And so I just wanna unpack them one by one. We are fighting a biological battle, we're fighting a psychological battle, and we're fighting a spiritual battle. And I'll unpack these one by one, starting with the biological battle that we're fighting. So if you can put the grid up there, the first thing is our biology. Do you know that your body was designed by God on purpose to reproduce people? Because he said to Adam and Eve, their first job description ever was be fruitful and multiply. That meant, no, they, were not, they weren't birds, so they weren't gonna go lay eggs, okay? God knew that he was commissioning them to have sex, have sex often, and reproduce the species. We have this thing in our minds, not just as the church, 
But in general, people sort of associate sex with bad, with bad. Like your sexuality is a negative, dirty part of you, and you should you should put that in a little container and take it out when you're in the bedroom with your husband or wife, and then put it back in for the rest. You know, it's silly. Like God does not ask us to compartmentalize ourselves like that. That is something we do because we have shame and systems of shame and beliefs about shame surrounding our sexuality. God designed sex to take place as an integral and natural and normal part of human life before the fall. Your body was designed to reproduce. God did not turn away from Adam and Eve when they had sex and say, this is a necessary evil that we must have to propagate the earth. If God didn't want us to have sex, he would have made us lay eggs. He would have just made people grow on trees. He intended for us to join together in holy matrimony and reproduce human beings. (laughs) So here's the good news, all right? Your body was designed to be sexual and it has every single thing it needs to achieve that goal. And in the beginning, that was not at odds with spiritual freedom. But because we live in a fallen world and because there's so much abuse and negativity and brokenness around this, around this aspect of humanity, it has become a place where shame and brokenness and pain have taken hold. And many times we find it at odds with our spirituality, even though in God's perfect world, it was not ever meant to be that way. And so as I talk today, I might touch some chords and I just wanna let you know, just take that to God. Like this is a very tender aspect of, of, of humanity. It's a little, you know, it can be a little, you know, it's, that's why churches don't talk about it very much. Like how are we gonna talk about this in church with men and women together and there's some kids and it's hard to talk about it. But we're not doing you a good service as pastors if we don't make, an, an, if we don't make a platform to discuss these things with you and equip you. Because you know what? <laughs> Christians don't lose their sexual desire when they get saved. And I'm sure that you're all aware of that. I don't need to tell you that. It would be so nice if you would have the option once you get saved to like, if it was like a little, like a little pack or like a little pod or something, you could take it out and put it in the freezer and preserve it until you were ready for proper use. But it's not like that. God uses this aspect of our humanity as an instrument of our sanctification. He does. He knows right where you are, so you don't need to worry about hiding things from him. God is the truth. He knows your truth. You might think you're hiding from God, but you're not hiding from God, and that is not to make you feel judged. It's to make you understand that you might feel the urge of shame to hide your sexuality from God, but God already sees it, and he already loves you in spite of that. So just come clean and have a talk with him. He says, come, let's reason together. Let's talk this out. And even though your sins are as red as scarlet, I'll make them as white as snow. And I'll take, I'll show you the path to do that good. And so let's talk about what's, what in our biology is working for us, both for us and against us. First of all, we have DNA and our DNA has an imprint on it. And this imprint has a very strong message of please make more humans. We need more humans on the earth. What is that telling us to do? It's telling us to reproduce. And we know to reproduce, we have to have sex. So that's not like, that's not a mystery to all of us. All right, but there's a mandate in our DNA that is God given that puts a physical pressure on us to reproduce the human species. Your body was designed by God to be sexual and to reproduce. Can you, look, that should give you freedom. You are not acting out of accordance with God's will for you. By ha- There's nothing shameful about having sexual desires. And the church has made it so and the world has made it so, but it's not so. God gave you that. And that's part of the reason that it's so difficult because you've got this God-given right thing in you. It's like God gave you hunger so that you would eat. 
He gave you taste buds so that food would be enjoyable, so that it would be self-reinforcing, so that when you get hungry, you would eat food. Some, for some of us, food is a little too self-reinforcing. You know what I'm saying? Like for me, I love chips and salsa, and I don't need to work to eat chips and salsa. The desire to eat chips and salsa is always there. If I go to a Mexican restaurant with you, and they put five, however many baskets of chips they will bring out, that is how many I will eat. It's the literal truth. And they bring out a basket and I could eat in moderation. You know, a serving of chips is 12 chips. Now, I don't know who makes up these servings, but they probably were a masochist. I mean, who eats 12 chips? Like, who decided that? One serving size, 12. They should make it like 112. Or one serving size, one six-gallon bag. How many calories is that, really? That's how much I'm going to eat. So just tell me what I mean. Let me just give me the truth. Let me just know. You know, ice cream, a half a cup. Really? Who eats a half a cup of ice cream? You know, half a cup is like this. And like the, do any of you eat that much ice cream? Put your hand down. I don't even want to know you. I don't even want to know that you're here. Who decides that? Anyway, that's, a, that's an unnecessary segue. But um, you will be staying late for that piece of comedy. But um, anyway, so genetics, you have a pre, and then, so a third, of your, a third of your DNA is mandates. Now, in other words, things you cannot change. The desire to have sex, you cannot change. You can't change your eye color naturally. You could wear con contacts, but you can't change your eye color. It's things like your height. It's things like your hair color. It's things like your gender. You know, it doesn't matter what surgery you have. You can do whatever you want. You can even look really, really, really good as that other gender. But at the end of the day, if I draw your blood, there's going to be either two X chromosomes or an X and a Y, and there's nothing you can do to change that. It is a physical, biological, mandated reality that this is what it is. You can't change it. But then another third of your DNA is what I call predisposition, what not, not me, scientists call predisposition. In other words, this is where your proclivities are. This is where you have this sort of realm of choice. You could go one way or the other. There are aspects of sexual preference that fall in this one third, the proclivities. There are aspects of certain addictions that fall in this one third. So you might be the kind of person who has a proclivity or a predisposition to be attracted to the same gender. You might be a kind of person who has an addictive type impulsive personality that you have more of a predisposition to be involved with alcohol or drugs. You might be the kind of person who has more of a predisposition to overeat. You just like food more. We have all these kinds of predispositions, but these are not mandates. They are predispositions. There are ways that you could easily bend if, you do not be, if you're not conscious about trying to push the other way, but they are not mandates. When it comes to behavior, can I free you up and say, your biology does not determine your destiny. When it comes to the way you behave, I'm not saying desires. Some people really are, they're more impulsive, they're more addicted, they might have more of a propensity to be addicted to, to a different substance like alcohol and drugs. But just because you might have that propensity, that proclivity, you might bend that way, does not mean that you are mandated to become an alcoholic does not mean that you're mandated to be addicted to drugs. There's not a mandate on your life. You have a choice, but you will have to work. The same thing with our sexuality. Your, your sexuality is very, very fluid. And so this is how sexuality works with our DNA. And this is gonna turn into the, create like, um, try into this third point here, brain training. So your, your sexuality is very fluid. Do you know that people can be attracted to almost anything? Like we make fun of things, people that get turned on by feet and 
stockings and you know ice cream cones or whatever weird things. But let me tell you how it's fetishes. I mean, people have fetishes, and no no condemnation. I mean, there's probably people in here that have them, and you wouldn't want me to know about it. But I'm sure that there are people in here that have fetishes, and you're like, why do I have that? Let me tell you what happens in your brain whenever you have sexual release. Is this okay? I'm gonna look at our college students because they're probably the most accustomed to hearing this sort of thing. Okay, <laughs> this is what happens. Your body activates four hormones and body chemicals. Four body chemicals, bodily brain chemicals whenever you have sexual release that they're, are activated. And these are the same chemicals that are released when someone does a hit of cocaine or a hit of heroin or any other kind of mind-altering drug. The first thing is when, let's take the specific incident of seeking out pornography to watch on the internet, because that's a really typical issue that's facing a lot of people today, because pornography is in everyone's house, and it's anonymous, it's available, and it's affordable, and so it's just the perfect setup for addiction. Okay, so, and so let's just, let's just take this one specific issue of someone maybe, look, you know, getting tempted to watch porn. Here's how your body your brain, this is the chemistry that's happening in your brain. First of all, you notice that you want whatever something triggers you and you start to, you start to think about, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go upstairs, I'm gonna, I'm gonna click through and I'm gonna watch some stuff. Now let me tell you, you're vulnerable when you're bored because your body, do you know that your brain interprets boredom as stress? Like we think boredom isn't, like we don't think about it, but when you're bored and unchallenged, your, your brain actually interprets that it's stress. It's a trigger. When you're under stress, that can cause depression. So you could be bored and be interpreting that as depression. Just like you've ever heard that you could be thirsty and interpret it as hunger. You can be bored and interpret that as depression because your body, I mean, your brain interprets boredom as stress. So you have this trigger, you're bored or you're home alone, you're lonely, you're bored, so you're gonna do what? You're gonna, you're, you go upstairs and you're telling yourself, I'm just going upstairs. But you know that your, un, your unfiltered computer is upstairs. And so you're going up there and your body immediately recognizes, your brain recognizes that you are seeking a stimulus. And it releases adrenaline. Adrenaline is the chemical that your brain releases during a flight or fight response. It it removes your inhibitions and focuses you just on the task at hand. And so you go up there and you see your computer, let's say you sit down and you start to click through. Your adrenaline is rising. Just the act of seeking this makes your heart pound faster. Your blood start rushing. Then what's happening, the pressure is building physically. I'm sorry to be so graphic, but this is, a, we asked you to get your kids out. I hope you did. Um, the pressure is building in your body. And let's say you find what you're looking for and you have a sexual release by viewing something, okay? This is what happens during that time, your body releases in sequence dopamine, which then triggers serotonin, which then triggers endorphins. Very, very, very powerful chemicals, no different to what happens to you if you do heroin or cocaine. All released in one act. God intended this act to happen in the context of of marriage between one man and one woman when what your eyes were looking at is his or her face. Because this is why neurons that fire together wire together. So what are neurons? All right, that you, can, you can imagine that is a very powerful chemical soup, right? And those endorphins, they give you well-being. And you feel good for what, like about 30 seconds and then you start to be like, oh man have church tomorrow. <laughs> now I have to have a breakthrough. Y'all all laughing, y'all done this. I got church tomorrow. It's okay, you're in a safe place for change. Um, you have church tomorrow, like, oh, there's worship. I got a breakthrough now. I'm gonna have to go to the altar. I'm just sick of this. I just feel like giving up. Why did God make me this way? I wish I wasn't like this. Maybe, maybe God doesn't mean it when he says we should say sexually pure. It's too hard. 
I don't know. And you get to, and then Sunday comes and what do you do? You're like, I just can't, I don't feel like dealing with it. Stay away from church. And there's a spot. Then what is the enemy doing? Drawing you out of community, right? That's how condemnation starts to set in. Now you're not thinking about that when you're bored, but that's the fruit of it. And that is the power of what's in your brain. God meant for you to experience that powerful chemical soup with your spouse and your spouse alone because neurons that fire together, wire together. And what that means, neurons are these little pathways in your brain. They end in these little, think of like a, frond, a palm frond or a little, you know, that little seagrass or something. There's like little ferns and they're like this. And when they transmit chemicals or they transmit information, they move together and they, a little, literally, if you were to see this on an imaging scan, you would see little sparks of fire when they connect with each other going off. It would be like little tiny fireworks going off all in your brain. And what's going on, it's like welding those neurons together. So you've got the nerves of the optical, the optical nerves from what your eye is seeing. And you've got these little neurons that are related to your sexuality. And those two things, those things are wiring together. So if you had a sexual release by looking at purple socks, Guess what happened to you just then? Purple socks and sexual arousal got wired together in your brain. It's not an abstract thought that you can just do away with. It is a physical reality, structural change. I am not making this up to scare you into behaving. I am telling you what science, not Christian science, regular science is telling you. When you watch something and have a sexual release, the effect of those chemicals is to bond you to that image so that you will seek it again why? Because your body needs to reproduce. But unfortunately, you cannot reproduce with porn. <laughs> You're meant to have that release with your spouse so that you will what? Seek it again. So that you will what? Be fruitful and multiply. <laughs> now, unfortunately, what is physically done and welded together in that moment can't be unwelded. But let me tell you what can happen. There's this wonderful aspect of your brain called neuroplasticity. And if you've ever heard Dr. Caroline Leaf at Shine, you're familiar with this term. You're kind of ahead of the curve. But let me tell you what neuroplasticity is. It is the ability of the brain to reshape its physical structure according to, by, by employing new habits and new thought patterns. So you know how they say it takes 21 days to form a habit? That's about what that means. You're gonna do something new for 21 days and what used to feel unnatural to you now feels natural. What used to feel difficult now feels easy. Everything that is easy was once difficult for somebody. Do you think when Michael Jordan started playing basketball like it was easy for him? No, playing basketball was once hard for Michael Jordan and only through practicing basketball did it become easy. Do you think a concert pianist like sat down at the piano and started doing scales all up and down and arpeggios and no, playing for the most accomplished musician, for the most accomplished pianist, playing the piano was once hard. Everything that becomes easy is once hard and it's the same with our habits, it's the same with our thought life, it's the same with our behaviors. It's gonna start off difficult, but the more that you practice it, the easier and more natural it gets. So here's what happens. You do these things, you cross these sexual boundaries for years and years and years your whole life. Maybe you're in your 30s and since you were, you know, however young, you've been practicing sexual management or stewarding your sexuality in a certain kind of way, right? And when you're doing this, you're building grooves. Physically, the actual physical structure of your brain would have grooves in it. And think of those grooves like riverbeds. So when you're seeking a stimulus, what happens is 
thoughts and electrical impulses and chemicals and all these things start following down this riverbed, this old path that your brain easily knows how to follow. All your chemicals know how to flow down this riverbed, right? Because it's easy. It's a big, wide riverbed. It's easy for your impulses to flow there. It's easy for you to go there. And so you don't have to think about it too much. And isn't that kind of what the enemy wants us to do? He wants us to have gratification without responsibility. He wants us to have gratification without any real personal demand. He wants it to be easy, right? But he feeds us the wrong bread and he makes that the easy thing instead of the right thing, making that the easy, making that the easy thing. So what we do is we follow the broad, wide riverbed because that's the path of least resistance. And what does Jesus say? Broad is the way to destruction and many are those that find it. But narrow is the way to life and few are those who find it. Just because something is easy doesn't make it right. If we wanna know what God thinks is right, then we have to do what Paul said, renew our mind. God, what do you think is right about sexuality? I'm going to then try to align my behaviors, however hard that might be with what you say is right. It might not be perfect, but that's just what I'm gonna do. So here's what you do. You find this space of choice. Everybody has a space of choice. And I'm gonna give you an example from my own life, not a sex example. I'm not gonna do that to you, I promise. Too much, too much information. I'm gonna give you another kind of, because another kind of example. I didn't ever know this, but I had a really bad temper. I never knew it growing up. If you were to ask my mom, who's here, by the way, raise your hand, mom. Nothing like talking about sex in front of your mom or your kids. Awesome. Never gets, uncomf- never gets comfortable. But um, <clears throat> anyway, so double kudos to me for preaching this message while my mom's here. All right. So anyway, if you ask my mom, she would say I was the most stable, not, you know, just calm child, never had tantrums, never did any of that sort of thing. When I got older, I discovered that I had a temper problem because when I had kids, they started to push the buttons that I had never allowed to be pushed on, my, on the inside of me my whole life. Whenever, what I realized is I didn't, it wasn't that I didn't have a bad temper, it was that I avoided situations my whole life that made me angry. My way of coping with the pain of anger was to avoid situations that made me angry. And as a result, I had no coping mechanisms for being angry and dealing with my angry emotions. And so when I had kids, you know, you can't escape your kids. They're there all the time. You can't leave them. And so there you are. And it wasn't that my kids made me angry or gave me an angry problem. It was that they revealed something that was already there in me that I didn't know existed. They just held up a mirror to a different part of myself and God put his finger on it. And he said, this is something you want to break in your life before your kids get too old. They were just, Kaylin was just a little baby when I walked through this. And I remember one time I was so angry and I was just about to, throw a, you know, a hissy fit grown up tantrum because I, I mean, I was like going back to being little. I didn't know how to handle it. It was like, I was acting like a three-year-old. And by the just grace of God, I realized before I uttered a word, there was this little flicker of light almost. And it was like this little space where I thought, I don't have to do this. Like I could choose not to throw a hissy fit. I could choose not to throw a tantrum. And you know what I did? I, I squeezed myself into that little space where choice existed and I said, I'm actually gonna choose to do something different. I'm gonna choose to just pray instead. I'm gonna take a break. And so I did that. And you know what? Once I identified that space of choice, I became, the next time it was easier to identify. You know, between the impulse and the action, there is a tiny space where you can step in and you can make a choice. And if you really, really think about the last time you gave into an impulse, you could identify a moment where you chose to tip over it's probably very quick, but the more you step into that little space, guess what? Each time you're pushing it wider and wider and wider and wider. And here's what you're doing. Every time you do that, you're creating a new groove, physically speaking, in your brain, a narrow path that leads to life. And this 
other riverbed that was so used to receiving all the chemicals and the hormones and the endorphins and the serotonin and the satisfaction of just whatever it is that you were doing for me, it would be just letting it rip, just getting a good venting session out. That would give me like a release, right? Like I'd be like, that feels good, get it off my chest. But it was so death, it's so death in my life. And so what I had to do is I had to dry that riverbed up and start to dig another riverbed in the opposite direction by surrendering to God. And physically speaking, I wanna tell you, it, it can be like a little painful to dry that riverbed up. Your brain is telling you, hey, you want relief? You wanna don't feel lonely anymore? You want satisfaction? You want, this, this will make you feel better. Do this because why? Every time you've been dealing with pain or loneliness or boredom, you've done this and you've gotten relief and your body remembers that. It could not care less about the consequences or your moral ideas about what you did. It just wants the relief. And when you ignore that very, very intense urge and you turn your decisions into another way, this riverbed goes, excuse me, you're supposed to be pouring things into me and you're not obeying it. It, it actually is physical, like it's a physical, it is a physical process. It's not just a matter of your will. Your body is rewiring all those impulses and you're learning to find a narrow river, riverbed where a new kind of water can flow, a new kind of habit can be formed, a new way of escape can be made. And it is a process, but I'm gonna tell you something. I do not have a temper today. It's not that I never get angry, but I do not have an impulse to act and vent and yell and give in and throw a hissy fit because in that moment, I realized there was a choice that I can make and I'm gonna step into it and I'm gonna broaden this door and I'm gonna turn in the other direction and I stepped into that choice every day. I posted all sorts of scriptures on my mirror. I prayed every day. I had to physically and spiritually fight, but I'm gonna tell you it wasn't long at all before I had that under control and I had a new riverbed dug and my neural, my neural pathways were changed. I didn't know how to explain it like that, but in a very real sense, what I was doing was renewing my mind, reconstructing my brain, renewing my thought patterns, moving my chemical flow from the path of anger and least resistance to the path of patience and goodness and self-control. And do you know, it is the same thing with our sexuality. We have our, our brains are programmed to tell us, oh, you feel stressed, oh, you feel lonely, oh, you feel pressured, oh, you feel you've had a, you've had a big week, you deserve this, God will understand. You, it will use anything. Your, your body does not care. It will tell you that you're, you're, I mean, it will tell you that you're a goat. I don't know, it, your body doesn't care. It's doing everything in its power to get you to go this way. And then I'll tell you, there's something very empowering about saying, this is nothing more than hormones. I feel this urge right now. It is a wave, a rush of hormones, and it's giving me a very strong physical pressure and impulse. But I'm gonna tell you, there's something very powerful about stepping back and go, I feel this right now. It's very real, real but it's just chemicals. It's not some kind of mystery. It's not, a, it's not a biological mandate. I have a choice. I'm right here. I might be predisposed, but I have a choice. And I'm gonna step into that moment of choice. I'm gonna make it wider and I'm gonna choose to change. And I will tell you, every time you do it, it gets easier and easier and easier and easier. And that old way will become so unnatural to you. And that riverbed will be so dry and barren that it will not even be attractive to you anymore. And when Paul says, submit your bodies to God, don't be conformed to the image of the world. Instead, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then you will know God's will he did not know at that time he was talking neuroplasticity ages and ages and ages ago. That is exactly what happens when we choose to obey God, even when it doesn't feel good and renew our minds and take in the word of God. Isn't that awesome? The Bible knew what was coming centuries later. 
And so here's the deal. Whenever you feel those urges, if you can just find a place of choice to step back and go, hormones, chemicals, you're not the boss of me. Jesus is the boss of me. The Holy Spirit is the boss of me. You're not the boss of me. And I don't have to listen to you just because you're here and you're pushing my buttons. There is a great power in that. You can say that out loud. I give you permission. Go into the bathroom at work though. People will think you're crazy. Okay, the other thing is we're fighting a spiritual battle. And this is really important. Now, before you are born again, you are, your spirit is dead, okay? And you are a slave to your human nature. And your human nature is weak, insecure, and immature. Wherever you are weak, wherever you are insecure, wherever you are have a prone, or prone to immaturity, that is a sign of the residue of your old fallen nature. Now, when you're born again, okay, your spirit is made completely right and justified with God. You are made right by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Jesus is not in love with some future perfect version of you that he, and he rejects where you are now. And when you get perfect, he'll love you. Jesus is in love with you right now, where you are, messing everything in the process. He's not waiting for you to get down the road imperfect before he loves you. He loves you now. Without his love, you could, there's no way you could do this. Without his grace, there's no way you could do this. He calls us up, but he walks with us every step of the way and he loves us in the process. And this is a lifelong process. He just calls us to engage in the process. That's all he wants. Keep getting up, keep getting up, keep getting up. And so even though our spirits are made right with Christ and our spirits are perfected, we still have this, we have a, a this is a spiritual, the, the enemy uses these old things, weeks, weakness, insecurity, and immaturity to tempt us or to trigger us to these old behaviors that are, that are bad, that are bad for us, that are broken. And this is especially true in the area of sexuality because we're designed for sexuality. It's like if you have a, if you have a problem with um, overeating, I mean, you can't live in a, you can't not ever eat again. You have to eat. So what do you have to do? You have to learn how to live in a world where there's food everywhere and food commercials everywhere and where you actually do have to eat in the right context and with restraint in the right way, but you have to change the way you do it. It's the same thing with sex. You, you can't live in a world where there's no sex. The world would stop. Like there have to be people. There can't be people without sex. So this is how it is, how it is. But we wanna approach that from a place of strength, from a place of maturity and a place of security. And that's what God is building in us. So it is a spiritual battle that we're fighting in a, in a spiritual way. You fight that with spiritual disciplines, with prayer, with fasting, with the word, keep renewing your mind. And the other thing is this, we have the power of generational sin and the power of imprints. These are spiritual strongholds in our lives that the enemy uses to perpetuate bad behavior. So, you know, I look at this is generational sin as patterns. It's not some weird curse that the devil put on you and now you carry a curse with you. People call it generational curses. Let me tell you what it is. It's a pattern of behavior that is learned over and over and over again in generations of the same family and it's just passed down one to the other. So for some of you, that could be, you know, it could be that you have your, in your family, people don't express their emotions and they don't talk, but they withhold love. And that's how you deal with conflict. And you learn what you grow up with in your family. For other people, it could be that your family has knocked down drag out fist fights every time they get in a fight. I don't know, maybe your family's messed up. They ought to be on Jerry Springer. You know, but everybody, we learn things from our family of origin. Even if we say that we're never gonna do those things because we hated when our parents did them. If you've ever done something and then went, oh my gosh, I swore I would never do that because I hated when my parents did it and now I'm doing it. You have just encountered a generational sin. Congratulations. And now what you need to do is you need to break that pattern. And I wanna specifically right now speak to the people in this room who are the first in their families to be saved. You're a pioneer of salvation in your family. Can I, I wanna just, just let you know that you are chosen for a very special task. You are chosen by God through his salvation and through his grace to break the patterns of generational sin in your family. It is a very, very high honor to be a pioneer of salvation in your family. 
For some of you, you came to this church and you got saved and your families have no knowledge of God and they, they're mad at you for even being one of those Christian weirdos. God has specifically plucked you out and positioned you to be a pioneer of salvation in your family. And you might face a little more resistance than someone who is not a pioneer of salvation. But it's like, imagine yourself going through a jungle with a machete and hacking away all those weeds and creating a new path for your entire family to follow behind you. It is an amazing privilege to be a pioneer of salvation. And so I wanna let you know that God has empowered you to break these generational curses. And so if you're having a little bit harder time, look at your family history. Like, are you the first one to get saved? This might be why. You're breaking some generational patterns. And the last thing is this, we have a real enemy, Satan, who seeks to kill, to steal, and destroy. In John 10, 10, Jesus said, the enemy seeks to, he comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. But I have come that they might have life and that they might have it to the fullest. They might have it abundantly. Look, the enemy comes to you for one of three reasons. Only ever comes to you to kill what is alive in your life, to steal what God has given to you, and to destroy what you are building. Now, he doesn't come to you and say, hey, I have a great idea. Why don't you have an affair? And that will be so much fun. And in doing so, you will lose your wife and your kids and destroy yourself forever. Won't that be great? No, if, if, if the enemy came to us and said that, we'd be like, no way, get out of here. But what does he do? He finds you in your moment of weakness, when you're feeling unvalidated, when you're feeling unloved, when you're feeling lonely, when your spouse is checked out, when your spouse has been long, uh, in a prolonged illness, under understandable things that make us vulnerable because we are human, not because we're horrible. And he comes to you at that time and he says, you know what? It's been so long since someone really appreciated all the stuff you do. It's been so long since you were touched <clears throat> in a loving way and you really deserve this. You're not getting what you deserve. You're not getting what you need and you really deserve this. And then right when that, you know, that thought is brewing in your head, what happens? Someone, the perfect someone comes along and starts to speak to that pain lean into that pain. Maybe somebody who's experiencing the same pain in their marriage, in their life. And you might have a proclivity to be unfaithful. You might have a generational sin pattern in your family of unfaithfulness. I don't know what other things might be working together, but he baits you with that. And don't think that this is not real. If you wanna metamorphosize the, the devil and say he's a cosmic evil force, good for you. The Bible does not paint him that way. He says he's a roaring lion seeking someone, not waiting for someone to walk by that he can devour, but seeking out who is weak and vulnerable and distracted that he might devour them. Seeking. That's why we need to be seeking God because the enemy is seeking you. He hates the anointing on your life. And so what he does is he dangles that and here's what he offers you, okay? He only can ever offer deception and empty promises. Because look what he did to Adam and Eve in the garden. Did God really say this? You know, you deserve more than this. You're co-heirs with Christ. You know, you're, you're the stewards of this garden. Don't you wanna be like God? If you eat this fruit, you will be just like God. You know what, that's why he doesn't want you to have it. Does he ever tell us anything different? And is the result anything, ever anything other than death? Never. It's the same old lie, the same old lie, the same old lie. The same empty promise, the same empty promise, the same empty promise. And every generation has to learn to recognize it, fight it and deny it for themselves. But it is a real spiritual battle. And that's why we need to be in prayer. That's why your kids need to be at riot. That's why we need to be in freedom groups because we need every weapon at our disposal, not because we're scared of the enemy, but because we are bent on taking ground for Jesus Christ, from breaking these sins in our family, from building a life that is flourishing and whole. God's will for you is flourishing. Not perfect everything going your way, all the time because we mature 
by not having everything that we want all the time, but God's will for you is flourishing and wholeness. That is what he wants more for you than you want it for yourself. And the enemy, he will cloak it in, won't this be satisfying? Won't this be fun? Don't you need this? You deserve it. But his end game is always the same. Stealing, destruction, and killing. That's all he ever wants, to steal, to kill, and destroy. That's his end game every time, no matter what clothes he puts on it. So that's the spiritual battle you're in. And then we're in a psychological battle. I'm gonna go through this really quick. So psychology, we're fighting a psychological battle and that consists of several things. One, we are immersed in cultural influence. You know, it says never, never, never count on a fish. There's a saying that says never count on a fish to discover water. Why? Because fish live in water. That water is all they know. They can't say, oh, I live in water. It's, the, it's what, what they live in. We are so a part of the world that we live in that we almost can't recognize how much of part of it we're in. We are influenced all the time by messages that we're taking in. We're sorting, our brain is sorting them and categorizing them and putting them into our worldview and it's framing the way we believe. That's why we need a steady diet of the word of God to challenge all those messages we just absorb every single day through ads, through television. Do you know the average teenager spends 70,000 hours a year influenced by media and television watching screens? 70,000 hours a year if you count television, iPhones, iPads, and computers. It adds up that the average teen spends 70,000 hours a year in front of a screen. Do you know how many hours a year they spend in church? 50. That is why, so important, if you're a teenager in here, you don't realize that if you have not balanced your mental diet, that you're not, you're, you're, you're being strongly influenced, you're not giving yourself a counterpoint. You need a counterpoint to know the truth. If you don't know the truth, you will not find freedom. It doesn't matter where you seek it. You have to give yourself a counterpoint because you're so immersed in the system of this world and so readily, not because you're stupid, but because you don't have time to think about everything that comes your way. You've got to intentionally place yourself in a counterpoint of view. And that would, it's a great, that's why we have riot. We, need, we want to give you God's point of view so that you can see for yourself that his ways are the best ways. And so then there's peer grouping. We're constantly, um, we're, we're with our peers, our peers influence us. And then, there is pop culture. And then the other thing that's influencing us psychologically, probably the biggest thing of all, is that every human being, no matter our age, our stage in life, whatever economic background we have, whatever educational background we have, we have this hunger for love and validation. And can I say this hunger is meant to draw us to God? is supposed to make us seek him. Our hunger for love and validation is our soul crying out for what it lost. And Eden is our soul crying out for God. And it is meant to be like a homing device, a radar locking in on him and bringing it in our direction, in his direction. But if we are not careful, that same desire to be loved and validated can lead us, because we don't carry love and validation on the inside of us, before we know God, it can lead us to eat the fruit off, illicit fruit off of different trees, trying to take what we lack and put it inside. And it never, ever sticks, you know? So when, a lot of times, and you can put the heart of the matter of crossing sexual boundaries, whatever yours might be, and you can put the last screen, the heart of the matter is this. It's perception and protection. We lack God's perception of us. We don't see ourselves as value and va valued and validated. Our perception, the way that we view life, if we, if we have experienced rejection, then everything we, will, we experience in life, what people say to us, if they invite us somewhere or don't invite us somewhere, if they say hello or don't say hello, if, if rejection is, is what you've experienced, your perception will always be that you're rejected. Does that make sense? It's your filter. You see everything through that. If you didn't feel loved growing up, if you felt ignored, you'll never feel special. So we go, what do we do? We try to protect ourselves from the pain of that knowledge, that, the pain of that feeling. And so many times I find 
that whenever people are crossing sexual boundaries, it is in response to this heart of the matter. I need to know that I'm valued. And if sleeping with numerous people makes me feel that for 30 minutes, then okay, that's what I'll do because I need it so much. And then I might have regret after, but I'll just do it again. It becomes like a numbing, a numbing the pain. And you know, Jesus has an answer for the pain that we will inevitably face in this world. And he calls us to it. You know, I hear this as a pastor all the time. Why did this have to happen to me? Why does this happen to her? Why do bad things happen to good people? Why me? Why them? They're so good. They didn't deserve this. What I've learned over years of leading people is that there's really not an answer that you can give people that will satisfy them. You know what I'm saying? Like no answer to your pain intellectually satisfies you so you can go, oh, okay, that makes sense. I'm good now. (laughs) Because that's not actually what we need. So when the answer was lifted up to God, why do bad things happen on this earth? Why do bad things happen to good people? He did something so much better than sitting on his throne in heaven and saying, that's a great question, student. Let's turn back to Genesis and I'll explain. No, he knew that was not what we needed. So he did something far more profound and personal. He sent his son, wrapped him in flesh and blood, sent him out of the purity and perfection of heaven into the dust and the dirt and the messiness and the pain of this broken world. And he became the ultimate good person that bad things happen to so that we would never have to walk through the pain in our lives alone again. He did more than give us an explanation. He gave, him, gave us himself. And in that, we can find the strength and the comfort and the power that we need to walk this road of grace until at last we become conformed to his image, amen? Let's pray. Father God, we love you so much and we thank you for your power and your presence in this place today. I pray that the word that was sown here, God, would settle in and that it would begin to make a big difference in our lives. Lord, we receive it with humility. God, we thank you for your grace that makes it possible and we love you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for tuning in to today's podcast. For more information about Celebration Church or to get in touch with us, please visit celebration.org.